Welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wayne Raffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all your brothers and sisters in spirit, and where there is a heart full of genuine love within anyone, there is a mighty, mighty weapon, backed by the power of the great I Am and the great Central Sun, and our very own mighty I am presence. Let us then acknowledge our inner power, believe in it, fuel it with our loving energy, and use it. For it is that God-given power already within us that is the help, the hope, and the salvation that mankind for ages have looked to the heavens for. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God, 
I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same, people have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up, in victory. 1 Corinthians 15 12-54 Volume 2, Chapter 6 In the writings of Paul, the entity of man is divided into a trine, flesh, psychical existence or soul, and the overshadowing it at the same time interior entity of spirit. His phraseology is very definite, when he teaches the anastasis, or the continuation of life of those who have died. He maintains that there is a psychical body which is sown in the corruptible, and a spiritual body that is raised in incorruptible substance. The first man is of the earth earthy, the second man from heaven. Even James 3:15 identifies the soul by saying that its wisdom descendeth not from the above, but is terrestrial, psychical, demoniacal. See Greek text. Plato, speaking of the soul, Sush, observes that when she allies herself to the new, divine substance, a god, as Sush is a goddess, she does everything aright and felicitously, but the case is otherwise when she attaches herself to Anoya. What Plato calls new, Paul terms the spirit, and Jesus makes the heart what Paul says of the flesh. The natural condition of mankind was called in Greek apostasy, the new condition resurrection. In Adam came the former, death, in Christ the latter, resurrection, for it is he who first publicly taught mankind the noble path to eternal life, as Gautama pointed the same path to Nirvana. To accomplish both ends there was but one way, according to the teachings of both. 
poverty, chastity, contemplation or inner prayer, contempt for wealth and the elusive joys of this world. Enter on this path and put an end to sorrow, verily the path has been preached by me, who have found out how to quench the darts of grief. You yourselves must make the effort, the Buddhas are only preachers. The thoughtful who enter the path are free from the bondage of the deceiver, Mara. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Follow me, everyone that heareth these sayings and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man. Matthew 7 and 8. I can of mine own self do nothing. John 5:30. The care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word. Matthew 13:22. Say the Christians, and it is only by shaking off all delusions that the Buddhist enters on the path which will lead him away from the restless tossing waves of the ocean of life, and take him to the calm city of peace, to the real joy and rest of nirvana. The Greek philosophers are alike made misty instead of mystic by their two learned translators. The Egyptians revered the divine spirit, the one only one, as note. It is most evident that it is from that word that Anaxagoras borrowed his denominative new or, as he calls it, mind emperor, the mind or spirit self-potent, the, movement of the movement of persons. All things, says he, were in chaos, then came mind, and introduced order. He also denominated this mind, the one that ruled the many. In his idea, mind was God, and the logos was man, the emanation of the former. The external powers perceived phenomena, the new alone recognized nomena or subjective things. This is purely Buddhistic and esoteric. Here Socrates took his clue and followed it, and Plato after him, with the whole world of interior knowledge. Where the old Ionico-Italian world culminated in Anaxagoras, the new world began with Socrates and Plato. Pythagoras made the soul a self-moving unit, with three elements, the new, the friend, and the thumos, the latter two, shared with the brutes, the former only, being his essential self. So, the charge that he taught transmigration is refuted, he taught no more than Gautama Buddha ever did, whatever the popular superstition of the Hindu rabble made of it after his death. Whether Pythagoras borrowed from Buddha, or Buddha from somebody else, matters not, the esoteric doctrine is the same. H.P. Blavatsky The Platonic school is even more distinct in enunciating all this. The real selfhood was at the basis of all. Socrates therefore taught that he had a daimonian, a spiritual something which put him on the road to wisdom. He himself knew nothing, but this put him in the way to learn all. Plato followed him with a full investigation of the principles of being. There was an agathon, supreme god, who produced his own mind a paradigma of all things. He taught that in man was the immortal principle of the soul, a mortal body, and a separate mortal kind of soul, which was placed in a separate receptacle of the body from the other. The immortal part was in the head, Timaeus 19 and 20, the other in the trunk, 44. Nothing is plainer than that Plato regarded the interior man as constituted of two parts, one always the same, formed of the same entity as deity, and one mortal and corruptible. Plato and Pythagoras, says Plutarch, distribute the soul into two parts, the rational, noetic and irrational, agnoia, that that part of the soul of man, which is rational, is eternal, for though it be not God, yet it is the product of an eternal deity, but that part of the soul, which is divested of reason, agnoia, dies. Man, says Plutarch, is compound, and they are mistaken who think him to be compounded of two parts only. For they imagine that the understanding is a part of the soul, 
but they err in this no less than those who make the soul to be a part of the body, for the understanding new as far exceeds of the soul, as the soul is better and diviner than the body. Now this composition of the soul, with the understanding, makes reason, and with the body, passion, of which the one is the beginning or principle of pleasure and pain, and the other of virtue and vice. Of these three parts conjoined and compacted together, the earth has given the body, the moon the soul, and the sun the understanding to the generation of man. Now of the debts we die, the one makes man two of three, and the other, one of, out of, two. The former is in the region and jurisdiction of Demeter, whence the name given to the mysteries, and, resemble that given to death, last. The Athenians also heretofore call the deceased sacred to Demeter. As for the other death, it is in the moon or region of Persephone. And as with the one terrestrial, so with the other the celestial Hermes doth dwell. This suddenly and with violence plucks the soul from the body, but Proserpina, mildly and in a long time, disjoins the understanding from the soul. For this reason, she is called monogenes, only begotten, or rather begetting one alone, for the better part of man becomes alone when it is separated by her. Now both, the one and the other, happens thus according to nature. It is ordained by faith that every soul, whether with or without understanding, when gone out of the body, should wander for a time, though not all for the same, in the region lying between the earth and the moon. For those that have been unjust and dissolute suffer there the punishment due to their offenses, but the good and virtuous are there detained till they are purified, and have, by expiation, purged out of them all the infections they might have contracted from the contagion of the body, as if from foul health, living in the mildest part of the air called the meadows of Hades, where they must remain for a certain prefixed and appointed time. And then, as if they were returning from a wandering pilgrimage or long exile into their country, they have a taste of joy, such as they principally receive who are initiated into sacred mysteries, mixed with trouble, admiration, and each one's proper and peculiar hope. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 17 The loved ones of my heart, I will not hold you long tonight, but I want to show you that the world is a mirror, and into it, as you look upon its great activities, you may place there whatever you want to come back to you. You are the creator individualized. Your responsibility is to help govern the universe by the flame of perfection of your own life in your own heart. And the world, since its electronic substance is so very sensitive in the atmosphere about you, the world is yours to mold according to your desire. Whatever you mold into the world without, will condense and become your individual world of manifestation. So, if you want your world free from limitations, you must place freedom into the atmosphere about you by conscious command and the use of the great sacred fire of creation, and as you charge that forth to life everywhere, life will give it back to you. There is no escape from your own creative activities. With every thought, feeling, and spoken word, you are creating something every moment. Waking and sleeping, the waves of certain vibratory action are constantly passing off from the life in you. Therefore, unless you take the master hand and definitely determine that the life in you shall only send forth certain rates of vibration that produce perfection into this great universal light substance, unless you definitely determine that, whatever happens to be around you will rush into you. The world is a mirror, and therefore, as you look into it, you may command there, God's perfection. 
And if you give the recognition of God to the outer world, the outer world will recognize the God in you, your beloved I am presence. So each one is individually responsible for anything and everything that goes forth through the energy of the outer self each day, through thought, feeling, and spoken word. The vibratory action of your life's energy constantly is throwing off into the very air you breathe, the qualities that are within you at the time, and as we have said before, so often that which goes forth from the mental and feeling world of an individual never gets beyond a radius of three feet until it comes right back into the individual, because as you send forth, through your thought and feeling and your spoken word, certain rates of vibration, you are breathing them back into yourself right the next instant before they can get very far away from you. So, do you not see that unless the attention of the mental and feeling world is held upon the presence and comes into our octave, to there see and feel and understand the manifestations of perfection, unless you reach to our octave or to your presence and draw that perfection into your world, how is your world going to give perfection back to you? You have, all through the centuries, my loved ones, time without number, time and time and time and again, you have reached into the outer world and drawn to yourselves what you thought was going to produce harmony or perfection or happiness for you. And every time you have done that, you have been disillusioned, for whatever temporarily seems to hold that to you, unless it comes from your presence or from our octave, it has beginning and end in this world. So if it makes you happy to receive it, it makes you unhappy, when you lose it, Unless you come to the eternal association with your beloved I am presence and with us, you do not have eternal happiness, you do not have a way and means of producing the things that you want, and then maintaining them to bring you eternal happiness. So, in letting go of many of the things in the physical world that you have experimented with in the past, you are but freeing yourself, that you may reach into the unlimited and draw to yourselves that which you have not yet experienced, but that which will forever bring with it the happiness of our octave. And that you cannot lose. Beloved Master Jesus the Christ So it pays, my dear ones, pays very, very great dividends, to let your world be the world of your presence and the world of our octave. Then when you command, I demand the will of God done physically here as it is in the Ascended Master's octave, then when your demand goes forth, your higher mental body is free to produce for you down here what you have never yet seen, and what may not even yet exist in the physical octave. Your higher mental body could draw from the central sun that which has never yet come into manifestation anywhere, and it would bring to you only eternal happiness and boundless illumination. Or your presence could reach into our octave and draw forth ways and means of bringing you supply, some of it from this world, some of it from ours, supply that you never dreamed existed, many things that would make you wonderfully happy, but which you have never yet used in this world, but which are to be used in the incoming golden age. Unless you keep the door open by your attention and in the call to your blessed I am presence unto us, you don't let us give you the new things that belong to the new age that are to be a permanent part of this world, which we want to give you because you are the channels by which it is to come into physical manifestation. We are trying to open the door for you all for the limitless supply to come to you and make your way easier and give you the way and means by which you not only master conditions in this octave, but as you draw this power into outer use and more concentrated action, it makes you able to correct conditions that are wrong, to consume mistakes, and to lock the door forever against any more in the future. It is to help you clear your world of these things that should not be, that we are constantly turning your attention back to your beloved I am presence, and to us, to show you what we have. But if the outer world demands everything from you all the time, and it will not let you be still long enough to let your presence or us show you the things that are new and the things that bring eternal happiness, if it won't let you alone, 
then you must take a very firm stand and forbid it to have your time or attention until you listen to your beloved presence first and to us. And after you have received in the stillness that which is right for you to do, then when you turn your attention to the outer you will know how to handle it. And it will, only then, produce in your world that which brings harmony and happiness to you. The incessant demand of the outer world upon your time and your attention and your energy and your things is an eternal suction, so to speak, taking away from you that which God has given. It takes your energy, your time, your attention, in order to sustain itself. It steals your life, and unless you take your stand that your life belongs to your blessed I am presence and to us to produce eternal happiness for you, if you don't do that, the outer world will steal your life to sustain its wrong, and then impose its limitations upon you. Beloved Master Jesus the Christ. Thank you.